Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Well, we are back. Hi everybody, Peter Jacobson, the host of the Jake's Takes podcast. We have been off for a while, trying to let everybody have a little time off and enjoy your family over the holidays and hopefully get out of this crazy COVID thing that we're still in. It's driving me crazy. I'm sure it's driving you crazy. And it's great to see the PGA Tour coming back with a few fans in the audience. That's encouraging to see. The tournament that just ended this past week was the World Golf Championship, the Workday WGC up at the Concession Golf Club. I was up there a few days last week, and I was really impressed with the entire facility. Yes, the golf course is hard. Greens are elevated, a lot of runoffs. It made for some very interesting shots, some very interesting big numbers. Players seem to have a few disasters along the way, but overall, it was a great week. And how impressive is young Colin Morikawa? I think that was his fourth win on the PGA Tour. Everybody's always talking about who's the next Tiger, who's the next great player. And it's hard to look past this guy. He's impressive. He does everything well. He's a great driver, great iron player, good putter. I know he changed his grip. He worked with O'Meara on his putting. He's doing more of that saw grip. Not not necessarily a claw grip, but a saw grip, as O'Meara calls it. But it just goes to show you that it doesn't matter how you grip the golf club as long as you can put a strike on the ball that makes it go into the hole. Nobody's going to judge how you do it. It's what you shoot. Speaking of Tiger, what a horrific accident he had in Los Angeles. And coming up on the show a little bit later, I'm going to speak with my son-in-law, Dr. Chris Saylor, up in Westchester, the father of two of my grandkids, which I'm very proud of. But Chris is a doctor of physiatry, which is pain management and physical rehab, which, as we all know, Tiger will need a lot of in the coming months as he works to rehab his leg after that just a terrible situation for Tiger. I don't care. I don't care who you are. If you love Tiger, if you don't like Tiger, it doesn't matter. He is a dad. He's got two kids and he's a human being that we are all pulling for to pull through. He's not out of the woods yet. He's got a long road ahead of him, but we're going to talk to Chris about that a little bit later in the show. This week is the Arnold Palmer Invitational, our fifth year without our host, You really can't talk about the game of golf without mentioning a few players' names. Certainly Tiger, because Tiger is the the greatest player of this era. Jack Nicklaus, we talk about Jack. He's the greatest player of the last era. And I think it's a toss-up between who's better, Jack or Tiger. We could argue that all day long. People always talk about Ben Hogan because of the mystique and because of how hard he worked and how, I guess, The perception of Hogan was that he was cold. He didn't want to talk to anybody. He kept to himself, which he pretty much did. I never played with Mr. Hogan. I did have a chance to watch him hit a few balls and and got to shake his hand and spend some time with him at the past champions banquets at the Colonial National Invitational for years, now the Charles Schwab Challenge. The other player people talked about was Byron Nelson, the great gentleman of the game. Nobody was nicer or kinder than Byron Nelson, but That brings me to Arnold Palmer. I don't know if there's been anybody in the game who has meant more to the game of golf and the people 
within the ropes and outside the ropes than the great Arnold Palmer. He is always in the discussion when people talk about golf. In fact, today, I played golf out at uh, my club, the old Collier Golf Club in Naples. I played with their head golf professional, Steve Waugh. I played with John Harris, the PGA Tour champions player, and also two-time U.S. Open champion, Curtis Strange. We played out there, and when we got done, they both ordered, all three of them ordered Arnold Palmer's to drink at lunch, which I thought was very appropriate for this week. What Arnold has meant to the game can't be understated. Even five years after his death, we still talk about the impact Arnold has had, not only on competition and winning majors, but also his impact off the golf course. I always like to talk about what a player does inside the ropes, and if you do really well, that gets you into the Hall of Fame. But what you do outside the ropes, I guess it means more to me now that I'm almost 67 years old and I'm, I don't play much. So to me, the people of the game mean more than, than accomplishments. That wasn't always the case when I was playing the tour. I was trying to win every week like the kids on tour today and the guys on the champions tour. But when you take a step back and you start looking at accomplishments, a lot of players on the Champions Tour and on the PGA Tour, they have their own foundations. They have their own focus on their charities. And I think Arnold really started that ball rolling for all of us with he and his wife, Winnie, their work with the Children's Hospital in Orlando. And of course, we all know about Jack and Barbara Nicholas, what they've done, and Ernie Els with his work toward, toward autism and on and on and on. There's a lot of players. Tiger Woods Foundation, it's amazing what Tiger does and has done and will continue to do with his foundation. But I guess now that I'm older, I've got four grandkids, three children, I like to think about what goes on outside the ropes and how to give back, how to pay it forward. And Arnold was the one that set the bar for all of us. In fact, I don't think there's a player in the game today that doesn't know what Arnold has done. There are so many kids on the tour. In fact, a lot of them will be playing this week at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. They never met Arnold. But that doesn't diminish the fact that Arnold has had a huge impact on the way they approach the game. They know how important it is to be a gentleman, how to show kindness. It doesn't cost you a dime to show kindness. And Arnold always impressed me with his kindness as well as his gratitude. He always said, He's just the, uh, the kid of a, of a greenskeeper growing up in Pennsylvania. And he eventually ended up owning that golf course in Latrobe that his father, Deacon, worked at as a superintendent. But I think it's that humble beginning and humble perspective that Arnold had which drew people in. I remember the tournament so well when I was either playing or working for NBC. Arnold would be out in a cart, driving around, watching the players, interacting with the guys, shaking hands with the fans, taking pictures, doing autographs, because Arnold loved people in the game of golf. And there was a story that I'm going to tell this week. 30 years ago this week, Arnold Palmer made the cut at his tournament, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, at the age of 62. Now, that's an impressive thing, making the cut at a PGA Tour event at the age of 62. So funny enough, I was driving home from the course that night. I made the cut, and I was thinking back about how impressive that was that he made the cut at 62 years old. So I stopped into the local supermarket near Bay Hill, and I went into the bakery, and I said, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to have a cake made for a good friend of mine. 
I'd like it to be big, a sheet cake for like 75 or 80 people. And I would like it to say, uh, congratulations, Arnold. Thanks for a great week, the players. And the very nice lady in the bakery department said, sure, we can have this for you next Friday. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I need this tomorrow. She, she said, that's impossible. There's no way. And I said, it's for Arnold Palmer. She said, I'll see you at 7 a.m. <laughs> she knew the importance that Arnold was to that community and the impact that he's had through his charitable efforts and efforts in the community. So I went, I picked this cake up. And again, with tea times, you really never know when the players are going to be able to all gather in the locker room to give this cake to Arnold. Well, I took the cake, gave it to the food and beverage. They put it back in the kitchen. Divine intervention. At about 10 o'clock in the morning, the clouds rolled in, thunder, lightning, and rain. There was a rain delay. So, as luck would have it, there's all the players, probably 70 to 80 players that made the cut, are in the locker room with Arnold, with me. So I asked the the locker room attendants to please go get the cake, which they did. And we're standing there, and I'm banging my hand on a table to get everybody's attention. And all the players gather around. I ask them, please come gather around. And I'm holding this huge cake. And I said, Arnold, on behalf of all the players... We want to thank you for all the efforts that you've put into this tournament and this week and every year. Thank you. And we want to congratulate you on making the cut because at 62 years old, we didn't think you could make the cut, obviously giving him a hard time. Well, I look over at Arnold and he's crying. So I start crying and all the players gathered around us started tearing up. And it was just one of those special moments I will never forget. And we cut into the cake, and everybody laughed and joked. And then about an hour later, the rain delay was lifted, and we all went out and played. And Howdy Giles, Arnold's dentist and personal photographer, he took, he snapped photos, took pictures. And it's from those pictures that I'm recreating that cake as close as I can. Can't get it exactly. And I'm going to have that on the telecast on Friday in a couple days. And because of COVID, I can't put it in the locker room for the players to eat, but I'm going to take it and give it to Amy Saunders, Amy Palmer Saunders, Arnold's daughter, and put it up in the office for everybody to to enjoy. But I just think about those special moments that I was so fortunate to have in my career, playing with Arnold, competing with him in exhibitions and tournaments, being his partner so many times, and just really being around a guy that taught us all how to be professional at what we do. You've been here before, you know what to do. Keep your head on straight, don't let them get to you. Put a smile on your face, get rid of that frown. Gotta suck it up, it's no time to melt down. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. I'm a sports nut, and if you're anything like me, the first thing you do every morning is grab your phone and check to see what may have happened overnight in the world of sports. But Mondays are for golf. Once the weekend is over and the golf tournaments around the world are complete, whether they're on the professional tours or in the amateur world, I know I'll find what I need on Global Golf Post. 
It comes to my email every Monday morning, delivering everything I need to know as I dissect what happened over that weekend. It also offers insight and analysis from experienced writers and contributors who are as committed to the game as I am. And it's pretty easy to sign up. Just log on to globalgolfpost.com and you're done. And for even more great content, you can subscribe to Global Golf Post Plus, which takes a deeper dive into the world of golf, exploring the people, places, and things that makes this game we love so intoxicating. And with Global Golf Post Plus, there's no advertising. Use the promo code JAKESTAKES when you sign up to receive 30% off your monthly subscription to Global Golf Post Plus. So remember, globalgolfpost.com. It's everything you're going to need to know about this game of golf. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. So I'm joined now by my son-in-law, Dr. Chris Saylor who is a physiatrist. And uh, Chris, thank you for joining us. Would you explain to all of us what a physiatrist is for all of us uninformed like me? Sure, sure. So basically I deal with kind of orthopedic and musculoskeletal injuries in a non-operative fashion. Can you lay out, obviously, this accident that Tiger had last week was, was shocking and horrific. And it's hard for us to get a sense of what what happened to his body because with the doctor speak uh, they, it's it's all the scientific jargon can you just tell us real quickly what what happened to tiger yeah so obviously the we all have limited information on this but i, I think just based on the pictures we can understand it was a pretty devastating crash and very very lucky that he's alive and and doing as well as he is and at this point, we can focus on his leg injury. So from what I understand, he had pretty severe trauma to that right lower leg, ankle, and foot, and that's what we'll focus on now. Basically, he had multiple fractures in the lower leg as well as through the ankle and foot. Those fractures are, are not just your standard fracture. There is multiple fractures, so there's multiple pieces, and then we, we use the term comminuted for that. So there's basically multiple multiple fragments, and there's also breakthrough of the fragment through the skin, and that's when we'll say there'll be an open fracture. So this is a pretty, pretty serious injury and uh, was obviously a uh, high-velocity type impact. So this is pretty devastating for him. Now, they had to insert, again, I know you're dealing with limited information, just what you've read like we've all read, but I think they said in the article that they had to insert a rod into his tibula, which or fibula, whatever it's called, not being a doctor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so the main, yeah, so the, the main bone in the lower leg is called the tibia, and because it was in multiple pieces, they did need to insert a rod to stabilize the fractures. The other part about this is because it was a fracture that broke through the skin, this is something that they needed to do in, in emergent surgery on. This is not something that they can plan or do in a more um, you know, ideal environment. This is something that needs to go straight to the operating room, really mainly because of infection risk. And that's going to be something um, that he's, that, that's, 
they're, they're going to have to handle um, as a part of his early recovery from this, this whole injury. And based on what you know, because obviously you've worked with patients that have things like this, his biggest comeback, obviously we love to watch Tiger, we love to watch the comeback where he won the Tour Championship and he won the Masters and we're all excited about him creeping up closer to Jack's, Jack Nicklaus's record 18 majors, Tiger now has 15. But it seems to me, Chris, that the that the greatest comeback Tiger's going to have is just to simply get back on his feet, be able to walk without a limp, and be able to swing a golf club again. Is Or, or am I overstating that? I, I think you're understating it probably. Um, yeah, so because of the complexity of this, there's a few factors I think we need to consider even as far as this early recovery period. You know, number one, I think, is this infection risk. I don't know if you remember Alex Smith, the quarterback in the NFL, had an yes. open fracture. He ended up going through, I think, 10 to 20 procedures because of kind of recurrent infection issues. So infection is going to be a big deal, not just of the skin. He could potentially have something called cellulitis, so infection of the skin. There can be infection of the soft tissue under the skin in the muscles as well as the bone, we call it osteomyelitis, or even the hardware, the metal rod placed in there, that could become infected. So over the next few months, he'll be monitored closely for any signs of infection and be receiving uh, around-the-clock uh, pretty regular antibiotics. Other parts of this are the soft tissue injuries. So, you know, they're focusing on the bones. Another procedure they had to perform emergently was called a fasciotomy. And basically, when they brought him in, there was too much pressure and swelling in all the muscles in the lower leg. So they had to release some of the pressure. Um, it was literally like a sausage that stuffed too much. So they had to open up part of the soft tissue to relieve the pressure. Because if that's not done, then you can have injury or death of the tissue. That includes the nerves or muscles. So he's going to have to recover from that. And the other part of this early recovery is the injury or the fracture through the actual ankle joint itself. And anytime you start to involve a joint, you really increase risk of loss of significant function. You can injure the cartilage. You can have irreparable damage to the cartilage, irreversible range of motion loss, things like that. So this is just in the initial recovery. I'm just talking about the next couple of months. And he's going to be non-weight-bearing for probably two to three months, and again, assuming this all goes well. So just in the next three months, kind of still survival mode for his lower leg, and we'll get a better idea how many more procedures he may need to get, go through. So in an ideal world, three months, and then he can just start to put weight on it and start the rehab, probably talking about another three to six months just relearning how to walk and get back to daily activities, and let alone golf uh, yeah if i had to estimate with if everything goes perfect i mean i see 12 to 18 months at least you know before we would see him in any kind of uh, sport specific activity so it's definitely a going to be a long haul but i think he's proven over and over again he, there's a reason why he's the greatest uh in my opinion at least and he's overcome odds before so i wouldn't put past him well, surgical technology is just is just incredible. As you know, I've had my left hip replaced twice, and I've had my right knee replaced, and we see a lot of joint replacements 
in the world today, but those are mm-hmm. almost expected. And when I had my joint, my knee and hip, I knew there was a recovery time period. There was a, a, a two months, four months, whatever it may be. But that's because the doctors know what to expect. This is a this is totally unpredictable from what you said. And twelve to eighteen months, it's a it's a scary thing to think about. We all want Tiger to come back and be as healthy as he possibly could be. We want to see him back on the golf course, winning tournaments. But I know my my orthopedic told me when I had a joint, my right knee or left hip replaced. He said you're going to lose that natural twitch in your in your joints and it's going to cost you distance off the tee. And you and I have played together many times. And you see that in my golf swing. I used to be fairly long, but I'm no longer uh, have much distance anymore. That's why I can't compete much. And would you imagine that's probably going to be the same situation with Tiger because the right leg, as you know, you turn into the right leg and then you, you push off and turn back into your left side. Do you anticipate that being uh, an ongoing concern absolutely and again it's it's that soft tissue that's that's the concern even when you have a hip replacement they try to minimally affect the surrounding soft tissue around the joint replacement and the recovery is just that 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 soft tissue that they had a planned surgery for this is an unplanned complicated traumatic case with severe soft tissue injury so it absolutely is going to be similar to other orthopedic issues. It's just going to be much more difficult to recover from because of the extensive nature uh, of the injuries to the soft tissue. Well, Chris, we appreciate you joining us. And I just want to ask, did you take good care of my two grandchildren tonight when you put them to bed? Absolutely, every time. Books in <laughs> a bed. Books in a back rub does it does does it just fine. Ah, oh, that's perfect. I love it when you call me and they want me to sing a Papa mm-hmm. song for that's them to right. go to sleep. That makes yeah. my night. Yeah. I love to play uh, is heard very frequently in this house. That's for sure. <laughs> ask me all the time now when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Strixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, And they put it in my locker. It was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball. And believe me, when you lose sight of the ball in flight and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the Pro-Ams. And eventually, I started playing it in the tournament. 
whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do, how it affects your game. And I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. With the Strixon Z-Star yellow ball, I can curve it left or right, hit it high or low, and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. Since it's the start of the year, I always like to think about players to watch for this year. Well, obviously, the big story is Tiger Woods. What is going to become of Tiger's game after that horrific car accident? I don't know if he's going to come back and play at all this year. I would highly doubt it. I think the great comeback for Tiger would be simply to get back on his feet, walk normally again, be able to start swinging a golf club without pain. The other players I looked at, Obviously, with Colin Morikawa winning last week at the WGC, he jumps on everybody's radar. Dustin Johnson, obviously, he's just so dominant. He does everything well. Drives it long, drives it straight, good iron player. He's really improved his wedge game and his putting. So he's a guy that is going to be on the, on the, the, the leaderboard every week. This young kid, Sam Burns from LSU, had a chance to win a couple of weeks ago. He's a great ball striker, and I think that when he puts it all together, he's somebody to watch. Another player to watch, young Maverick McNeely, went to Stanford University. He's a great player. He weighs about 140 pounds, soaking wet. I don't know how these kids hit the ball so far when they're so skinny. I've I've got lots of body fat on my body, and I try to get it moving in the right direction, but I still hit my driver like I leave the head cover on. So I maybe need to try taking the head cover off. Might go farther. And then the one that I'm pulling for, and I would imagine you are as well, is Jordan Spieth. He's getting closer. He's had, I think, two or three top tens in the last month. He's starting to put it together again. And I've always said that when you play well and you fall into a bit of a slump, it's not talent. Talent never goes away. It has to do with your perspective and where your head is. And I think Jordan was simply trying too hard. I, I, I think that now that he's got a little confidence back, I think he's going he's gonna to jump back into the, the mix, and I think we'll see him win again. And then the other player went to University of Texas, Scotty Scheffler, big, tall kid. I watched, uh, I watched the University of Oregon play against University of Texas in Eugene. Casey Martin won his national championship, and Scotty Scheffler was on that team. He's a really good player, a nice young man, and I think he's going to have a dominant career. Still looking for his first win, but I think once he wins, I think he's going to start winning a lot. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours? Yeah.